Welcome to the FCC pulpit, Apostle Lafayette Scales. Hallelujah. Let's give some praise up to Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Our God is good and his mercy endures forever. Amen in Jesus' name. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord and in the company of God's saints. And we honor the Lord for everything that he is doing and everything that he has done. We welcome those who are going to be listening to us uh, over the radio. And it's good to be in uh, New England. And we trust that our voice will be far reaching this morning and that our lives will be changed. And that will never be the same again. Even as we worship the Lord this morning, I made a determination. I'm not going back. Amen. To the way it used to be. Because his presence has come and changed me. We thank the Lord for the season that we're in as a community, the season that we're in as a church, the season that we are in as a nation and as a world, because we see the advancement of the kingdom of God. And we honor the Lord for everything he has done. And why don't you celebrate your great pastor, Pastor John Pfeffer and his wife, Nita, why don't you celebrate them? Thank you for having us again. And I celebrate also with all the men that were with us yesterday and spent the better part of their day uh, in the morning and early into the afternoon being with us and uh, with an opportunity to share. Well, this morning, if you have a Bible or a digital instrument, wherever you're pulling your scriptures from, could you hold it up? And if you're listening to us on the radio, uh, also make this declaration with us so that we can walk in the same spirit of faith. Say this after me. This is my Bible. Though there are many in the world, this one is mine. I can be what it says I could be. I can do what it says I could do. I can have what it says I could have. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe that he is and he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him because I am a diligent seeker of God. My life will be better because I have heard the word of faith. Do you believe that? I believe that. Let's make our lives better. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter four is where we're going to land in just a moment. Second Corinthians chapter four. Let me kind of set this one up as we uh, uh, move into our time together. Paul is a servant leader that has been called by the Lord Jesus Christ to lead his people and to take them uh, into a faith in Jesus Christ. Paul's assignment is to the Gentiles and he loves his people, the Hebrew people. Paul is a servant leader and he constantly knows that God has called him to lead, but at the same time he has called him to serve. You see, in our kingdom, We're not just leaders or servants. We are actually servant leaders. In our kingdom, we're not great because the amount of people that serve us, but by the amount of people that we serve. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus was sitting around uh, getting ready to move into his passion. And he came up on his disciples and found them talking. Of all the things that they could be talking about after three and a half years of ministry, they were talking about who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus came up and started listening to them. One couple of the brothers got their mother involved in a conversation. And the mother came and said, hey, when you come into your kingdom, let one son sit on your left 
and one on your right. Whenever a grown man gets his mother involved in his business, he's in trouble. (laughs) Jesus then comes to them and says, listen, he said, the Gentiles who are great love to Lord authority over those and those that are great do exercise authority. He said, but it won't be so with us. With us, if you want to be great, he said, become a servant of all. And if you want to be first, that one will be first. Be a slave of everybody. And what Jesus says in our kingdom, you're not great by the amount of people that serve you, but by the amount of people that you serve. So great servant leaders must look beyond their current context. They serve and they lead simultaneously. And servant leaders are fully engaged in their now while embracing their future. For you and I who are servant leaders, God wants us to embrace our future but be fully engaged in our now. Would you look at your neighbor right now and if you're listening on radio and just tell somebody in your home or in the seat next to you, stay engaged. Yeah, live in the moment. Yeah, live in the moment. Enjoy every moment of life. Because life is a vapor. So live in the moment and enjoy every moment. Don't skip stages. And I saw some of our young people come in. I sometimes see children that can't wait till they're teenagers. And then they're teenagers. And then they can't wait until they become 21. And then they get 21. And they can't wait till they're 30 and married. And then when they get 30 and married, they can't wait till they have kids. And then once they have kids, they can't wait till the kids leave. And I read a book a few years ago called Boomerang. And in this generation, kids leave home, go to the military, work in college, and then they boomerang. Come back home now. And then there's a point in time where even though we have kept on embracing the generation that is to come, all of a sudden we want the clock to stop. In our church, one of our customs is when somebody says that they have a birthday, people will give them a dollar a year. It's one of the birthday gifts that we give out. It's not that the church gives it out. Individuals give it out as they will. And I went up to one lady, and she came up to me and said, Pastor, it's my birthday. And I said, how old are you? And she said, "Uh, 30. So I gave her $30. She said, no, really, I'm 65. (laughs) I said, no, you told Pastor 30. And that's what you are. So sometime, even though we live in the moment, we're always trying to embrace an age to come. And there's some health in that. But I'm saying stay in the moment. Be fully engaged in your now, but embracing your tomorrow. Now, listen, great leaders have uncommon passion and a burning desire. And great servant leaders, listen, burn with a passion. Nothing happens without passion. You and I, as believers in Jesus need to be passionate about everything that we do. We need to burn with a fire for accomplishment in the things that God wants us to do. And passion is a burning desire to change and to serve and to achieve a goal. Passion is a burning desire to change and to serve and to achieve a goal. And friends, without passion, nothing really happened. I love David where he says, one thing I desire of thee, O Lord, and that will I seek after. I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You see, great servant leaders have a passion for self-discovery. 
And for those of you who are filling in notes this morning, listen, self-discovery is important because self-discovery helps you to fulfill the potential that's inside of you. Now, I put it in those notes. How many of you got notes this morning? Okay. Okay. You filling those in? Am I going slow enough? You're with me? GP, are you with me? Okay. That's God's people. Are you with me? Okay. Now, listen, listen, your potential is discovered and leads to greatness. And your potential is discovered and leads to greatness. Your, your purpose uh, is discovered and leads to greatness. Your assignment is discovered and leads to greatness. And listen, the treasure inside of you is discovered and leads to greatness. When God made you, he put potential inside of you. He put purpose inside of you. He put an assignment inside of you. And he also put treasure inside of you. Your potential is everything that you could do but have not yet done. Your potential is everything that you have accomplished but have not yet started. Your potential is everything that you could say but have not yet said. Your potential is your untapped ability, your unused strength. One author says your potential is your unused success. Not only do you have potential, but you have purpose. There's a why of why you are on the earth. When God made you, he made you the way you are because of why you are. And friends, you and I have a purpose that we need to fulfill. God strategically planted you as a seed in the earth now to fulfill a purpose. That's your why. Your assignment then is what you are called to do. What are you called to accomplish? That's your assignment. And I want you to know that the treasure that God invests inside of you, the treasure he invests inside of you is discovered and leads to greatness. Now we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7 because in this, Paul knows that he's been called by God. Paul knows that he's been called to the Gentiles. He's established the church at Corinth. And yet because of a little narrow view of what an apostle was that was spelled out in Acts chapter 2, Paul doesn't meet that job description for when Christ dies and in Acts chapter one and two, when Christ dies, uh, Judas has disqualified himself. A prophet has said somebody else is going to take his bishopric. Matthias is put in and the way that they say, well, how shall we select this new apostle to fill Judas's oversight area? They say we need to find someone that stayed with us from the time of John the Baptist, and they went in and out with us and were eyewitnesses of his resurrection. That's who they look for. They look for Matthias, and the lots fall on Matthias, rather, and he is appointed. Paul then comes along, and he was not with Jesus from the time of John the Baptist. He was not, if you will, a physical eyewitness of his resurrection, going in and out with Jesus all of his days. Paul was one in Acts chapter 9 that was born out of due time. God, when he was going to persecute the church, violently arrested him, knocked him off an animal, blinded him, and then sent him down into a little city. And there he sat, blinded, wondering about this encounter he had had. When he was knocked off his animal, he heard a voice. And a voice said, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus that you persecute. God then taps a little man. And this was a purpose that this man was born for. Ananias in Acts chapter 9. And he says, I want you to go down to a street called Straight. There you'll find a man named Saul of Tarsus. He says, I want you to lay your hands on him. Scales are going to fall from his eyes. 
He said, baptize him and he's going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. He's a chosen vessel unto me. Ananias then, because he understood his potential, he's a little afraid. He said, you mean the Paul that's been persecuting the church and arresting Christian? He said, yeah. Ananias knows that this is his divine assignment and he goes and he fulfills his assignment. Listen, God may have birthed you in the earth to do one thing. And if you miss his voice, you can miss that one thing. Think about if Ananias would have missed his voice. He would have missed his opportunity to be in the Bible. Because God mentions him doing this one thing. And Ananias finds his treasure inside. Since Paul did not meet this little narrow view of what an apostle was in the beginning, Paul was one born out of due time, but he did see Jesus and hear his voice in resurrected form. Paul then establishes the church at Corinth, comes back, and now people are questioning, are you really an apostle? So he writes 2 Corinthians to uh, validate his apostolic ministry, message, and also his call. When he gets to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul wants this church to know, you're valuable to me. And what he says, he says, but we have, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, this treasure in an earthen vessel that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. New Living Translation says of that little verse, it says, but we now have uh, the light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not ourselves. Listen, I want you to know that you and I have treasure inside of ourselves. Now, what is the treasure that we have? Well, first of all, let's define treasure. A treasure is something of great worth and value. A treasure is something that is rare and it is precious. And also a treasure is something or is a collection of precious things. Listen, would you affirm in the air this morning, I have worth and value. Use your outdoor voice, not your indoor voice. Say, I have worth and value. Good. I want the people on the radio to hear you. Okay. Say this also. I am rare and precious. Affirm this. I am also costly. Now lean on your neighbor and say, I am rare and valuable. Listen, tell them I have worth and I am precious. Tell them I am costly. Tell them I am precious treasure. Now go ahead and tell them now treat me like treasure. (laughs) You and I, when he says we have treasure in this fragile clay jar, he wants us to know that we have something of worth and value inside of us. We have something that's rare and precious inside of us. And we are precious things collectively. I believe when I come the Faith Christian Center, I come to a treasure chest. I believe that there's a collection of treasure, people that have worth and value, that they are rare and that they are precious and they are costly. And God has put that treasure inside 
of this earthen vessel that New Living Translation calls a fragile clay jar. Now, what's the treasure that has been invested inside of us? If you look at the previous verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, it says, For God has commanded that light would shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts, that to give light to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you have a Bible, you could circle, or if you're on an electronic instrument, and if you can highlight it, highlight the word light, or circle the word light, circle the word knowledge, or highlight the word knowledge, and then circle the word glory, or highlight the word glory, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Listen, what is the treasure inside of us? We have the very light of God. Listen, Paul, in his current context, he's speaking to three different cultures. There's a Jewish culture, there's a Greek culture, and there's a Roman culture. The Jewish or the Hebrew culture look for a God of light that will bring them out of darkness. And they were always talking about the Lord is my light and my salvation. So they look for a God of light to bring them out of darkness. The Greeks look for gnosis. They look for knowledge. They wanted knowledge to help dispel ignorance. The Romans looked for glory. They talked about the glory of the emperor. They talked about the glory of Rome. They talked about the glory of conquest. And God says, whether you're talking to a Hebrew, whether you're talking to a Greek, whether you're talking to a Roman, God has put inside of you treasure. He's put inside of you the treasure of the light of God has shined in our hearts. We can become light to the Hebrews. He says, listen, and that light is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. We have knowledge for those who were inquiry minds like the Greeks. We also have glory. The doxa of God, the character of God, his renown, his reputation, his weight. We have the glory of God and all of it, both the light and the knowledge and the glory has been found in the face of Jesus Christ. So the treasure he has invested in us is his light, is his knowledge, and is his glory. We have this treasure in an earthen vessel that the excellency may be of God and not of us. Now listen, some people wear their treasure on the outside. But I want you to know that you have hidden treasure on the inside. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 3, when Peter writes and he's talking to men and the women, and he speaks more to the women in this particular chapter, as in Ephesians, the Bible speaks more to the men in that chapter. But in, in Peter, Peter speaks more to the women, and he tells the women in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 3, he says, now listen, who's adorning let it not be just the outward adorning of the plaiting of hair and the wearing of gold and the putting on of apparel. Some people wear all their treasure on the outside. But listen, why have treasure on the outside and be all messed up on the inside? That's like putting lipstick on a pig. God wants you, if you're going to dress up the outside, fix up 
the inside. And he says, when you came to Christ, God took some treasure. He took his hidden treasure and put his light inside of this fragile clay jar. He took his knowledge and put it inside of that fragile clay jar. He took his glory and put it inside of that fragile clay jar that we might show it to the world. He has put his treasure inside of us. And friends, I want every one of you in here who have received Christ to know you're just not an ordinary Christian. You have hidden treasure inside of you. Now the question becomes, why did he put this hidden treasure inside of us? And why do we need to become light to one culture, knowledge to another culture, and show the glory to another culture? Because all of those cultures live simultaneously in our nation and in our communities. Why do we need to reach lost people? Well, first of all, think about, have you ever been lost? Have you ever been lost geographically and couldn't find your way out? Have you ever been lost mentally and emotionally? And you just didn't know what to do. Have you and I, have we ever been lost spiritually? Well, we knew that there was God out there, but with so many theologies out there, we didn't know which one to believe. So spiritually we were lost. Have you ever been lost? Have you ever been lost relationally? You just didn't know who to connect with and who to let go of and who to disconnect from. Have you ever been lost relationally? Have you ever been lost? You see, when people are lost, they need someone to take the hidden treasure inside and to pull it out. It's someone that asking the question, the community is, can somebody bring me out of this darkness where I'm lost? Can somebody give me knowledge in my lostness and estrangement? Can somebody bring me some glory out of this defeated life that I seem to be living? Why do we need to win the loss? Because not only has God put his treasure in you, but he sees every human being as lost treasure. You see, join me in Matthew chapter 13 and verse number 44, because in 1344, it's one of the shorter parables in our Bible. And there in 1344 of Matthew, when he talked, when we talk about hidden treasure, God has not only put his hidden treasure in you, but I believe that there's also hidden treasure in a field. It says again in 1344, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to treasure hid in a field. The which, when a man hath found, he hideth it, and for joy thereof, he goeth that he selleth all that he hath to buy the field. Here he says that <clears throat> the picture of the kingdom of God is just like treasure hid in a field. I believe in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, Maine, I believe that there's hidden treasure hidden in this field. And the hidden treasure is people that are lost, buried and yet still breathing. Somehow God needs somebody to walk through the field of Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, Maine, and all of New England and find that treasure and say that treasure is worth me paying whatever cost is necessary to capture this field to get that treasure out of this field. You say, why do we need to do that? Well, we need to do that because there's treasure hidden in the field. When I was received the Lord at around age 21 as my Lord and Savior, my first picture of lost people 
was a picture of lost people going to hell. In my city, Columbus, Ohio, I saw a picture one night when I was dreaming and I was standing on this on this road and a conveyor belt was coming towards me. And all these people were on this conveyor belt. They were wounded. They were broken. They were torn up in their lives and in their mind and in their spirit. And they were dropping off into the abyss. Hell. My first picture of winning lost people was to stand between those people and hell, eternal punishment, and tell them you don't have to go. And I burned with a passion to keep lost people from going to hell. You see, the word says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And I saw all these people going towards death. And my statement at that time at age 21, I want to make it tough for people to go to hell for my city. And so I want to interrupt people's journey. And when I saw people going down the wrong path and I knew that they were lost, my goal was to give everyone that I encountered an opportunity not to go there that was created for Satan and fallen angels, but to come into eternal life and wind up in a heaven that God created for everyone. And I wanted them to see a new heaven and a new earth. That was my picture when I first got saved. I had that picture for 10 or 15 years and it got a little, uh, Pastor John, a little dull. So I asked God to give me another picture. And then he showed me in the middle of a pasture and I saw a sheepfold, a flock, a sheep, all of these people that were safe with a shepherd. And then I saw a sheep wander away. When that sheep wandered away, it was vulnerable to the wolf, the bear, the lion, and the snake. Because sheep are very vulnerable. They don't have claws. They don't have sharp teeth. They can't run. And I started seeing people as lost sheep. They were vulnerable to every wolf and bear and deception and lion and snake out there in the community. They were vulnerable. And my responsibility, like in Luke chapter 15, first parable, was to leave the 90 and the 9, those that were comfortable in the church, and to go out there and find that one lost sheep. And no matter what it took, like David, snatch them out of the jaws of the lion, snatch them out of the jaws of the bear, put them on my shoulder and bring them back to the sheepfold so that there would be joy in the house. That was my second picture of lostness. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every man to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, picked us up and put us on his shoulders. The iniquity of us all. Christ bore us. He walked through this field one day and saw us lost. And when he's walking through this field, he says, you are such a treasure, my brother. You are such a treasure, my sister, that I'm willing to pay whatever the cost is to buy this field called the earth so that I can get the treasure out of it. This year, as we begin this year, I ask the Lord, Lord, I need a refreshing picture of lost of lost people. And the Lord said, lost people are like treasure lost in the field. You've known lost people as sinners. You've loaned lost people as lost sheep, but now I want you to see them as lost treasure. Stop thinking of people, said the Holy Ghost, as wicked and abominable and nasty and dirty. 
See them as lost treasure that is buried, breathing, alive in the field. That God wants to reach down and discover, pick them up, clean them off, and then put them out there on display as his treasure. My picture of winning lost people during this season, I'm a treasure hunter. I'm in the community looking for treasure, looking for songs that have not yet been written, compliments that have not yet been given, poems that have not yet been published, paintings that have not yet been done, software that has not yet been developed, cures that could be given to sick people, systems that could be put in place to help people economically. I'm looking for lost treasure. And it's out there in the field. It took all the pressure off of having enough scripture to evangelize. It took all the pressure off of having enough power to do signs and wonders. No, I'm just a treasure hunter. I see the potential inside of people. And friends, it's important to know that there is treasure in the field of Massachusetts, of Rhode Island, of Connecticut, of Maine, and all of New England. And we need to know why. Do we need to win the loss? See, your why is more important than your what. Sometimes we know what to do, but we don't know why we're doing it. And I think it's important that we understand our why so that the what makes sense. Direct your attention to the screens. A little short video clip is going to come our way. It's called, how do I know? And a lot of times when people hear the phrase, how do I know? The next thing they say is what? How do I know what? But the key really isn't to know what. The key is to know why. Because when you know your why, you have options on what your what can be. For instance, my why is to inspire people to walk in purpose. My what is stand-up comedy. My what is writing books. My what can be going out with some friends to eat. In fact, another what that has moved me towards my why is a a web series that we have out now called Break Time. So every Wednesday at 3 o'clock, you should subscribe to the the channel. Uh, We do a series called Break Time on YouTube. So 3 o'clock, we drop a new episode. One episode in particular I'm about to show you a clip to. We were in in Winston-Salem. So Break Time, this is how it works. I travel the country. I do stand-up comedy probably an hour, hour and a half at an event. And in the middle of my show, I'll just sit down and start talking to the audience. And funny just happens. Or I'll meet somebody who's really interesting. So I met this one guy, and he said that he teaches music at a school. I was like, all right, you teach music, you know, um, can you sing? And then uh, I'm just going to show you the clip. Check it. So you're a musical director. Yes, sir. All right, so... um, let me get a couple. Let me get a couple bars of like uh, "Amazing Grace." Can you do the first part of that? Go ahead. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Wow, that brought us in. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> all right, all right. Um, now, once you give me the version, is if uh, your uncle just got out of jail, you got shot in the back when you was a kid. I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick. If you know the version I'm talking about, just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. 
first time I asked him to sing, he knew what he was doing. The second time I asked him to sing, he knew why he was doing it. When you know your why, your what has more impact because you're walking in or towards your purpose. When you know your why, your what becomes more significant because you're moving towards your purpose. My why of revealing the hidden treasure inside of me has changed. First, my why for winning lost people was sinners going to hell. Then my why was lost sheep without a shepherd. But now my why is there's hidden treasure in this field. Treasure that God came to Eden when Adam found himself lost. Messed up the man and the woman were because they disobeyed his voice. Listening to the wrong voice, they found themselves now separated from each other. Blaming God, blaming each other for their dilemma. And God comes in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. He picks them up, covers them, and sets in place a redemptive plan, not only to clean them off, but all the seed that is in them and to present them as hidden treasure from the earth that is now being revealed. Jesus came to the earth to find us as hidden treasure for we have potential and purpose an assignment inside of us that God wants to reveal to the word. You see, to the world, because lost treasure is important to him. The question I ask is, I close this time this morning, is what causes people to be lost? If we are lost treasure, most people guard treasure. Most people put treasure in safe places. How is it in Matthew 13, 44, still with this text that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hid in the field? How did a treasure get hid and buried in a field? You see, pain and setbacks causes treasure to be buried. Sometime, friends, life happens. And sometimes life is victorious and overcoming, and that is our faith confession. But sometimes in life we take hits. And when we take hits of pain and setbacks, some people get lost and they say, if this is what God is like, 
if this is what the kingdom is like, if this is what church is like, let me look and reach and see if I can find something else. People get lost because of pain and setbacks and it causes treasure to be lost and buried. I still suggest to you this morning, and I've made it my conviction that we still need Jesus to come and to dig that treasure up and say that you live in a corrupt world and I live in a corrupt world. And it's not just humanity and God in this world. It's humanity, God, Satan, and a corrupt system that causes people to be buried. You see, some people get buried. Point number three uh, is uh, because of trauma. And structural evil, systems that are set up by corrupt men that causes treasure to be hidden in a field. And friends, sometimes because we don't take into account and do an honest assessment of man's critique of his dilemma, that there are corrupt and evil systems that cause men to be buried. I recently returned from South Africa in January, and I had a chance to interface with some men from Nigeria as well as Zambia and Ghana and some other places. And what I found out is that in many of the indigenous nations on the African continent, but not only in Africa, it's also in Russia, it's also in Asia, it's also in South America, sometimes there are corrupt leaders. And corrupt leaders borrow money from the International Monetary Fund that is given to them to help build infrastructure and to bless the people. But many times corrupt leaders will take that money and put it in their own pockets, leaving the country with the bill. And some of them struggle just to pay the interest off the billions that have been borrowed. And then when that corrupt leader is found out, they either are pardoned by the next government that comes in or they seek asylum in another country that will let them come with all of those hundreds of millions of dollars. And corrupt systems will cause people to say, where is God? Corrupt government causes people to say, where is God? And if this God you tell me about is good, why is there evil simultaneously in the earth? And if this God that you tell me is all powerful, why doesn't he do something about this? And people get lost and they're buried because of trauma and evil, structural evil that causes the treasure to be hidden in the field. Listen, racism and being marginalized and discounted causes treasure to be buried in a field. Sometimes when people are oppressed because of their gender, because people are oppressed because of their race or their color or their nationality, some people say, if this is what God is like, I want no part of it. I was in a forum, a public forum, and I was with a bunch of evangelicals. The public forum was an, was an ecumenical Christian forum. And somehow the conversation on the panel that I was on began to move towards this whole ideal prior to the election of Black Lives Matter. And one of the pastors who was a suburban pastor, he said, I live in the suburbs. And he said, and I know that there's this movement called Black Lives Matter, Reverend Scales. What do you say about that? He said, because I tell, tell them that black lives don't matter. He said, all lives matter. He said, that's what I tell my church. He said, what do you have to say about that? And I said, my friend, I understand your sentiment, but I don't speak for Black Lives Matter. I never have been in a Black Lives Matter meeting. I said, but let me tell you this. If we live on a cul-de-sac and my house is on fire and I call the fire department and the fire department comes out and hooks up the hose 
And he starts at this house and starts spraying down that house and starts spraying down the next house and starts spraying down that next house. But I live over here and I called you because my house is on fire. And the fire department looks at me and says, listen, I'm going to get to your house, but your house don't matter. All houses matter. I said, that's the way that black people who are being oppressed and shot feel because they're saying my house is burning and I know all houses matter, but I need you to give me some attention and spray some water over here. And sometimes the church has no answers and yet there's hidden treasure in that field. There's hidden treasure that God wants us to go through this field called Seekonk, Providence, and other surrounding areas and kick up the treasure and say, Jesus has come to your life to pick you up, clean you off, and then present you as treasure to the community. Do all lives matter? Yes. But there are some people that need special attention. And friends, I want you to know that God has called us to be treasure hunters because people are buried because of pain and setbacks. They're buried because of trauma and structural evil. They're buried because of racism and being marginalized and discounted. They are buried and lost people are buried, yet they're breathing and still alive. Here's the good news. One day there was a man named Jesus that came. He walked in this corrupt earth. And I know it's not Easter Sunday morning, but one day he got buried in the earth. He was a buried treasure. And here's the good news. Even after three days of being buried, the God of heaven came by and found that treasure in the field, buried in a tomb. And on the third day, he rolled away the stone, brought him out of the, out of that tomb. And he says, now you're going to be a treasure from the end of the ages. There's a great getting up morning. It's called resurrection. And when he resurrected, when he got up, I got up. When he rose, I rose. When he ascended, I ascended. And you and I need to understand that we have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God that's in the face of Jesus Christ that we have to offer to everybody. And even if we see people buried at the lowest place in the earth, you and I are called to find this hidden treasure. I want to work on this these next two nights. I want to turn us into some treasure hunters. I want to see us by resurrection Sunday morning, bringing in treasure into this place. And when resurrection weekend comes, there'll be so much treasure in this place and all in the balconies that when the time of decision is given, or maybe even when the worship happens, some treasure will come in contact with their assignment. They'll come in contact with their purpose. They'll come in contact with their potential. They'll come in contact with the fact that I'm not just a throwaway. But I'm treasure lost in the field. We're going after hidden treasure this week. Tonight and tomorrow night as we come together, I want to sharpen your treasure hunting skills. Because I want you to see the treasure in your office. I want them to see them in your, in your company. I want you to see them in your schools. I want you to see them on your university and high school campus. I want you to see the treasure next door to you. Because there's hidden treasure in this field and God has called us to go find it. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
I bring this church before you this morning. And I thank you today, Father, that your word says in Matthew chapter 13 and verse number 44, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hid in a field, which a man hath found. He hideth it again, and for joy he goeth and he selleth all that he hath, and he buys it again. Father, you thought I was worth saving. So you came and gave your life. You saw the treasure in me. You thought I was to die for. So you sacrificed your life. Now I am free. Now I have hope. And now I am free. Thank you for saving us when we were lost. Thank you for picking us up. Cleaning us off. Thank you for saving our lives, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And Father, there are people that are listening that are lost and they need to know, does anybody care enough to come and find me and pick me up and turn me around and clean me off and put me on display? Father, thank you that you came for Adam. Jesus came for mankind. And now we come for our generation. Father, make us effective treasure hunters. Let us see people as treasure in the field. In Jesus' name. Now listen, before we leave this moment, if you came into this sanctuary this morning, maybe you've been buried. Maybe you've been buried because of train pain and because of setbacks and because of trauma and because of evil structures. Maybe you've been buried because of racism or classism or sexism. Maybe you've been buried. And if you're listening on the radio, if you've been buried and you would say, I want to get up out of here. Jesus comes to you. We come to you today that says we want to dig you up. And if you know that you're lost, if you know that you're buried under the circumstances of a corrupt system, would you raise your hand this morning? Anybody that feels like I'm buried, anybody that feels like I'm lost and I want to be found this morning, just lift your hand today anywhere in this sanctuary. Because the word says Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. You may be a youth. You may be an adult but if you find that yourself lost and you discover that I know that there's more inside of me it's only when you connect to this God that loves you that he picks you up and he cleans you off so if you know that you're lost this morning would you raise your hand anywhere in this sanctuary as we're in this prayer attitude anybody that knows that I'm lost anybody that knows I need a change in my life I need to come out of the dilemma that I'm in I need to come out of this buried condition that I'm in raise your hand if you know that you need that change in your life raise it up high anybody in this sanctuary anybody anybody will not embarrass you but we will help you find your way anybody in this sanctuary Good. Is there anybody in this sanctuary that says, you know what? I used to walk with Jesus, but I'm not walking with him now. Somehow you went to work, you went to the military, you went to the college campus after high school, and somehow you got lost, and now you need to return to the Lord. Would you raise your hand? Anybody that needs to do a restoration this morning, raise your hand. Raise your hand anywhere in this sanctuary. Anyone that's lost and you discovered, I'm a treasure. And I need to be picked up, cleaned off, and put on display. Raise your hand anywhere in this sanctuary. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Good, good, good. 